we've been um, kind of trekking through different aspects of the person and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And uh, part of the um, interesting thing is it's also tracked a little bit with where we've been on Sunday mornings uh, as far as in our We Believe series. And so the last, uh, well, prior to this past week, there were like three weeks in a row on the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking, okay, did I just preach on this? Last week, but it was actually it was on a Wednesday night, and so there's just been lots of emphasis, and that is um, that was not that was not on purpose. It feels like feels like the the Lord would have us kind of entering into this and, and landing on these things and just kind of sitting in them for a while, um, and uh, concerning the Spirit and the role of the Spirit. So tonight we're specifically, even though we've talked about this in different times, we're specifically going to talk about the person, power, and ministry of the Holy Spirit as seen through the gifts of the Spirit. Not the most extensive study at all on, this, on spiritual gifts, um, and we're only going to tackle a, hand, a handful of them and really not even tackle them that much, um, but we're going to look at it. The objectives would be to come away from this session with a greater understanding of and appreciation for the gifts of the Spirit. So we all have thoughts about the gifts of the Spirit. We've all had some sort of like maybe training in them or some other classes, or we have, we have thoughts about them anyway. And so tonight I'm hoping that we would be able to move together uh, along this road that we are growing in together. Second objective would be to consider the continuation of all the gifts of the Spirit and to grow in our sense of thanksgiving to God for them through earnestly desiring and pursuing them for the good of the church, our joy and the glory of God. So it's not just head knowledge. The whole, the whole way along, we've talked about posture, like a, a humble posture before God's Word, before the Holy Spirit, and just welcoming, uh, welcoming what, what He would sovereignly want uh, in us. So, spiritual gifts in the history of redemption. Already spent a lot of time on this, and uh, spent a lot, like a lot of time last week, especially um, through, the, through church history. But uh, a spiritual gift can be defined as any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Uh, includes gifts that uh, would be more considered more natural abilities and then other ones uh, well, like, like teaching or administration uh, helps, some other things we'll see in a moment, and then more uh, quote-unquote miraculous or supernatural gifts like prophecy and healing along with some others. So God has called, has gifted spiritual abilities throughout the history of redemption, which, which we talked about week one, right? We talked about the Old Testament and the New Testament. We talked about church history last week considerably. And, um, and so uh, the reality is back in the Old Testament, there was, there was an action of the Holy Spirit, but then in, the, in Joel, Joel the, the prophet Joel began to prophesy of something that was going to happen on, in Acts 2. And it was... It was this, Joel 2, 28 and 29. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So this is God speaking through the prophet Joel. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. It's a, a legitimate change in history, in, in the, the work of the spirit as far as breadth. Um, and so uh, the purpose of spiritual gifts then we come to in the New Testament age. When Jesus um, 
brought in the new covenant, you know, like when we have communion, you know, take the Lord's Supper, and with the new covenant in my blood, the Holy Spirit was poured out there shortly thereafter at Pentecost, and the scripture began to be fulfilled, that scripture in particular, and the gifts became more widespread. There was just this reality that it was not only certain people in special places at special times for special occasions, but it was for all peoples, I mean all of God's people, in, in, a, in a broad way, even female servants and male servants and all flesh, which, which would indicate, um, and I think I might have mentioned this a while back, like, Joel would have thought all, all Jewish flesh, most likely, kind of all, all Jewish flesh. Then Peter, when he was preaching it and bringing, in Acts 2, bringing Joel 2 to bear on the group of people, it were, there were all Jewish men and women that were around there at that time coming into Jerusalem. And so I think because Peter was also surprised then when the gospel went to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit landed on the Gentiles too, he was shocked. But, but Luke, who came a bit later, he had already seen this reality of like all flesh is not just all Jewish flesh, it's all flesh. Gentile, Jew, every, any, anybody in, in Christ. Um, so Paul gives the reason for spiritual gifts um, in the church. The, the, the verse I picked there was Ephesians 4, and it actually... It's, there's, there's gifts there for sure, but there's gifts of people there, pastors, uh, shepherds, um, uh, uh, evangelists, um, that, uh, apostles, that kind of thing. There's gifts, but there's gifts of people in that area and so in that, in that verse. But it is on, the, on purpose, uh, the purpose of spiritual gifts being to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the pastor's role is to build up the church, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's why... He's gifted with pastoral, uh, with a with a heart of a pastor, an ability to teach, or um, or like an evangelist. Evangelist isn't just out there uh, doing evangelistic kind of work. An evangelist in a church, which we want to pray for and ask the Lord for here, that we would not just be evangelist, evangelistic, although that's definitely true, but that there would that the Lord would grant us an evangelist. Um, and when you think of evangelists, do, do you, like where do you go? Do you, I mean, you kind of think of televangelists, right? It's like that kind of thing. But well, the the gift of an evangelist is the gift to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, specifically as it concerns evangelism. So, um, all right. Spiritual gifts are given to every believer. Some verses there. It's, it's not only mature believers, next page, it's not only mature believers that are gifted with the Spirit. There are many kinds of people that are gifted with the Spirit. You consider the Corinthian church, how they were gifted, and how mature were they? As you read it, not, not super mature, right? It was like they had to be corrected in all sorts of ways. Some of the things that they were allowing to happen, 1 Corinthians 5 in particular, just ridiculous crazy not even just immature but but evil um and yet in some way they were gifted in these ways um somehow matthew 7 22 and 23 you remember this passage where where like people get before jesus in the end and they're like uh, hey we prophesied in your name we cast out demons in your name we did this in your name and this in your name and what did jesus say i never knew you um, so somehow, even, even 
people who end up not remaining in the faith, per se, um, are recipients of gifts. I, I wonder if in Hebrews 6, uh, 4 and following, in that really sobering text of someone who would become apostate, um, I wonder if one of the ways that they've tasted the heavenly gift and power has to do with something like this as well. Anyway, so it's not just mature Christians. It's not just people who are like uh, really gung-ho. There's, there's all sorts of people that receive spiritual gifts, uh, it, it, so it seems. Spiritual gifts not only equip the church for the time until Christ returns, but they also give a foretaste of the age to come. So there is an equipping of the church, building up of the church, but also it's just a foretaste of the age to come. So when we pray for healing, for instance, we're praying, we're praying in, in a way that, Lord, let your kingdom come. Just, just, in a, just a, a picture of it here where somebody gets healed. We know that they're going to end up like getting sick again and dying. But like in this moment, like would you bring healing to this person? Strip them of this headache. Lord, just give them a taste of just like of peace in their soul or, or whatever it is. Just the reality is this is a foretaste of the age to come. Um, so uh, Grudem says in the Systematic Theology, he says, gifts of knowledge and wisdom prefigure the much greater wisdom that will be ours when we know as we are known, pulling from 1 Corinthians 13. Gifts of healing give a foretaste of the perfect health that will be ours when Christ grants us or grants to us resurrection bodies. So just a foretaste, it's not a, it's not a, a static situation where somebody gets healed, right? It, uh, it's going to go downhill again at some point. But the reality is, like, for the sake of the church, for, for the building up of the church, for a taste of, the, of, of heaven to come, this foretaste, albeit just a foretaste, just a little bit, it's, this is one of the reasons why spiritual gifts are given to the church. Gifts are tools given by God for the work of ministry. Um, and far from anything to boast in, they're, they're gifts. What have we received that... What, what, what have we been given that we have not received? What, like, there's nothing to boast in. So the Corinthian church is boasting in their gifts, and, and yet they did nothing to get them, right? They're just, they're, they're gifts. And so each of us have gifts, and so we don't boast in those gifts. They are gifts from the Lord. Um, we should strive simply to excel in loving others. Now, listen to this. I picked this specific quote quote, um, we should strive simply to excel in loving others, caring for their needs, building up the church and living a life of conformity to the pattern of Christ's life. If we do that, and if God chooses to give us spiritual gifts that equip us for those tasks, then we should thank him for that and not argue with him about it. Thank him for it and pray that he would keep us from pride over gifts that have been freely and graciously given and which we did not earn. Now, we've spent a fair bit of time on this next section, but I thought I'd throw it in here anyway just to kind of reiterate and to think through um, a, a few things together. Have some gifts cease to operate. Um, here's what our statement of faith says. It says, Christ loves the church, his body, and provides for its health and growth through the Holy Spirit. In addition to giving new life, the Spirit sovereignly bestows gifts on every believer. Spiritual gifts are those abilities and expressions of God's power given by his grace for the glory of Christ and the building up of the church. The variety of these gifts, some permanent and some occasional, some more natural and some more remarkable, reflects the diversity of the members of Christ's body, demonstrates our need for one another. 
The gifts are not to be exercised with apprehension, pride, or disorder, but with faith, love, and order, and always in submission to the authority of Scripture as the final revelation of God. With the exception of those among the apostles who were commissioned as eyewitnesses of Christ and made recipients of normative revelation, the full range of spiritual gifts remain at work in the church and are given for the good of the church and its witness to the world. We are therefore to earnestly desire and practice them until Christ returns. And honestly, we could stop there and just spend time talking about that, thinking about that, and praying for that. Uh, but let's continue on. The, our primary, the primary text that, that is concerning this sense of um, if there are some, um, some ceasing of certain gifts or whatever, uh, especially like the miraculous gifts, what we, what we would consider a little bit more miraculous, right? Not, not natural, but more supernatural. Um, we'll see in a moment, I think that's a false uh, distinctive and not a biblical distinctive, but it's nevertheless the way we kind of think about it. Um, the, way that the, the way that our statement of faith said it is some more natural and some more remarkable. Um, I like, like the way they stated it. Um, we believe, though, that 1 Corinthians 13, 8-13 does not teach that miraculous gifts will cease. Let me, let me read the passage, and then we'll just kind of run through a couple things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So the imperfect, that's, I, I know that many of us know this, have heard this numerous times, but still, just by way of reminder, the imperfect, that is prophecy, not to mention tongues and other imperfect gifts, though they aren't mentioned explicitly in that text, will most certainly pass away or cease when it is no longer necessary. But in the context of this passage, that time when the perfect comes, um, we believe, is clearly the return of Christ in this passage. Um, when we see face to face, when we are known even as, or when we know even as we are known, um, in the future, not, not before the, the return of Christ. Um, so some sample objections. Some would say that the above passage does not actually specify when the gifts will cease. And uh, one guy, Richard Gaffin, super godly man, uh, wonderful, I think I've quoted from him before, he, um, he would agree that Paul is speaking of the return of Christ regarding when the perfect comes, but he would state that Paul is simply communicating um, that the whole text is kind of about the believer's present fragmentary knowledge, and, and like it's, it's he's gonna, like everything about this life is, is, is transient, and, uh, and there's just going to be this this time in the, in the end that will indeed terminate at that point and, and all that will last is faith, hope, and love. Um, and and so, so we would be, yeah, yeah, but that's not what the text seems to be saying specifically. The primary point may be what Dr. Gavin speaks of. Um, other points, though, are being made as well, including this area that seems contextually clear regarding spiritual gifts like prophecy because he says right at the beginning, 
I mean, that the, the bookends are love, right? Love, love and love at the beginning and the end of that passage, verses 8 and 13. But as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And then, and then uses that example and says, like, these things will end when the perfect comes. It's, it's a love, love won't end, but, but tongues will, prophecy will. Um, anyway, it just... Uh, it doesn't seem to be a reason why that objection should stand. Another, when the perfect comes, means some other time prior to the Lord's return. For instance, when Scripture is complete, when the perfect comes. The Scripture revelation, like inscripturated revelation, would, would, um, would be complete. So there's no other need. There's no more need for any more revelation. There's no more need for, for the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues to be interpreted. There's just not, not a reason for it. Uh, one, there's a... There's a a problem with an understanding of what we believe New Testament prophecy is, which we'll get to in a little bit. And so it's not the same as Scripture. Um, it's, it's, it's different, categorically different. But it is still revelatory in nature. It's just not inscripturated revelation. It's not, it's not of that quality. It has to be, as we'll get to, it has to be tested, it has to be thought through, it has all that. So it's not the same as Scripture. Um, and so, uh, so it doesn't really have, to us, doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that um, we believe the canon is closed also, you know, um, that Scripture is Scripture. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. Um, but we believe that prophecy and, uh, and some other revelatory kind of gifts like that are still active today. And they're definitely more on the seemingly remarkable side of the spiritual gift spectrum and we just say that is nonetheless revelation. It's just not authoritative necessarily like scripture. So when I preached on this a number of years ago, we used the example of Philip who was going out to see the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Except he, except he wasn't going out to see the Ethiopian eunuch. He heard the spirit say, go stand on the road. And so... I mean, how, what, it's, not, it's not scripture per se, it's just he said go stand on the road. So he knew somehow this sense that he needed to go do that. And then not just that, but then he needed to go, go over to this road. And he needed to go up to that chariot. And he needed to go ask this question and those kind of things. It's just there's, there's real revelation there. It's not the same as scripture per se, it's just... It is, nevertheless, God impressing on somebody. And we're just saying that's, that's what we believe the gift of prophecy is. To, to some extent, it's an impression that is, that is not the same as Scripture again, but it is, it's, it's like um, if the Lord, if the Spirit places on your heart to, um, for instance, uh, go talk to that guy, over there, you never met him before, right? And but you need to go over and talk with him, and either like just find out if there's a way you can pray for him or whatever. Okay, that's that's a that's an impression from the spirit. That's that's re, that's that's we would say is kind of revelatory. It's not not the same not the same category, right? It's just different. So it's still revelatory. If I don't go do that, then I'm disobeying. But if it's just like a, 
kind of a little bit of a toss-up, whether and who's, who's telling me to do that. If it's just me just feeling like, well, maybe I need to go over and do that, and I don't know, it's like whatever, and I'm arguing with that. But if I feel like the Lord is directing me over there, and I choose not to go over there, I would say that's disobedience to the Lord's command. Not as though, not as, not as though it was written in Scripture to go talk to that guy over there. Does that make sense? So it's just a, there's just different categories. So that's, that's another, another uh, thing. Um, I put uh, just one more, miraculous gifts. One of the objections would be miraculous gifts only accompanied the giving of new scripture. And we just spent an hour last week talking about really, uh, that's not true. So um, it's just not true. Historic, history bears it out. Scripture bears it out. Scripture does not, um, as Scripture was being written, it's not like all that the Holy Spirit was doing. And Jesus did far, far more. If, if we could write, if John, John says, if I could write everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough books in the world. So it's not, it's not just about the scriptural piece of it. There's, there's more that the Spirit's doing and, and throughout history like what we talked about last week. And we were only like scratching the surface last week. There's so much more to it. So how many gifts are there? Um, and listen, we're on, a, we're, on, we're on this continuum as well, right, of like belief. Working, trying to, trying to figure it out and work it out. So that's, this, is all, this is where we are together. How many gifts are there? There's a, there's a bunch of gifts. There's a bunch of gifts uh, that I just copied this out of um, uh, and then evidently made it too big so it's pixelated and everything. But anyway, it's just like a list of all the different gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, but we would say it's not the only, it's not like, doesn't mean that these are just all the gifts. This is just the ones we know of and the ones that we need to kind of really press in with. Um, and I want to be careful here as well because like these these. There's so many wonderful gifts here. Like, you know, you start at the top left. You got apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, kinds of healings. And then you got helps and administration. And then tongues. And then you got the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gift of healings, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Top of uh, top of the middle, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, prophecy. Then then what do you got? Serving, teaching, and then you got encouraging, contributing, leadership, mercy. These are the broad gifts of the spirit. These are the, we're going to look only at certain ones tonight, and it's going to seem as though we're highlighting these as special. I'm, I'm not highlighting these ones as special. I'm saying the reason we're talking about a little bit about the, the ones that we're talking about tonight is because they're the ones that are like, like, really? Um, there is so much encouraging that happens in this church. There is so much contributing that happens in this church. Not just financially, but in, in hospitality and all sorts of ways. Administration helps so much activity and it is not it is not look one of the things that hopefully we'll get to at the end and, and I I think I mentioned this at the beginning in the objectives but like to recognize no matter how natural it may seem it's not natural 
There is a, there is a, a role of the Spirit that is at work in this church that might not look like certain ways that some, some would want. Well, you know, we don't, have, we don't do this or we don't do that or we don't see that or we don't see that. And it doesn't mean stuff's not happening. It doesn't mean those things aren't happening. But it also, it also denigrates in, in, inappropriately um, um, or inadvertently, I should say, inadvertently denigrates the, the work of the Spirit all the way across. So to say that, well, I'm not seeing this at work in the church, so the Spirit must not be at work. I'm saying, man, the Spirit is powerfully at work among among you. Jenna, when you, when you and Aaron are serving, and you come in and you're serving with joy in your faith, even if you're struggling with whatever, you know, moments, right? It might have moments, right? But it's like the reality is, it's not just you guys being, being nice. Certainly, you could just be nice people. But the reality, and you are nice people, but it's just the, there is a, there's a gifting of encouragement and serving that's happening. And so if I look at you and say, man, Jen and Aaron, you, you guys are just really great people, then it's, it's not just a simple like distinction that needs to be made. It has to do with glory. It has to do with who is giving you the heart to serve on Sunday mornings. And also, who is giving you, I'd say, this is another like a way to um, motivate us to serve. Who is giving us the opportunity to utilize some gifts that, we, that we've been given? To, to jump in and to serve and to encourage and to pray over people and to pray with faith or those kind of things. So it's not just prophet, apostle, tongue speaker, prophetic utterances, all that kind of stuff. It's contributing and encouraging, and they're all rich, and they're wonderful, and they're here and active. Gifts may vary in strength. Um, uh, some have a stronger gifting, while others don't have the same gifting at all. There's God, he gifts as he wills, right? That's how the Spirit gifts, as he wills for the sake of the church, for his glory, for our joy. Um, Paul states in Romans 12, 6, that if we have the gift of prophecy, we should use it in proportion with our faith, as though there is some different kind of levels that may be there of prophetic utterance. We know there's people that have certain giftings that are just off the charts. And, and it's, it's a gift to the church. Um, like you think about the gift of apostle, I mean the uh, gift of uh, evangelist. All of us are called, all the pastors in particular are called to do the work of an evangelist. All of us are called to evangelize, but an evangelist in the church, the, the gift is, we, we all have certain levels of gifting in that, but an evangelist is like gifted up the wazoo, if I could say that on live stream. Just like so strongly gifted, or a teacher who is just like able to, uh, um, the, the young man that's living with us, uh, he was talking about a teacher in, in his school and how he just loves him so much because he, this teacher is, is like unlike most every other teacher he's had where it's just like he's a, this teacher is able to, able to connect in ways and make it like life for them. It's, it's a, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a, a gift. Um, it's a reality of the, in that situation. We need, we need more of that today. But there's, there's, 
there's this varying in strength. Timothy's reminded to uh, fan into flame the gift of God, which means, which seems to mean that it's it's like, you know, die down a little bit. You know, it's, it's down down to some embers. And there's some thought that he had been given the gift of an evangelist, um, and uh, and he but he was prone to timidity, and so there was like fan into flame this 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 gift. Timothy, preach the word, and and. And do the work of an evangelist. Get, get, it, get out there and do that. Fan it into flame. Apollos was an eloquent man. He was, he was um, uh, you know, Paul evidently, super gifted, right? Like exceedingly gifted. Apostle. Teacher. Um, in all sorts of ways. But, but Apollos was, was an eloquent teacher. Um, uh, Paul spoke in tongues more than all the Corinthian believers. So no matter what we think about tongues, Paul seemingly loved them. And, and he's not a man prone to exaggeration. He's not a man prone to saying, yeah, look at me. As a matter of fact, in that statement, he's just trying to make a point with these. You guys think you speak in tongues a lot. I wish you spoke in tongues more. I, 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 wish, I wish you could see what, what I do. And he's not proud about it. He's just making a making a point. There's just there's just different levels of giftings at different times. And it's, it's not for um, division in the church. It's not, of course, we would we would tend towards comparing and and feeling bad about ourselves. Or like I wish I was that person. I wish I was that. It's like this is the way the way we are. This is what happened in the Corinthian church as well. Um, but it's like for the good of the church that the Lord would strengthen us in different ways at different times and varying. Not everyone has the same gift, right? We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Um, uh, second full sentence of that, of that quote, many of uh, the gifts are only intensifications or highly developed instances of phenomena that most Christians experience in their own lives. The other important point to be drawn from this discussion is that even though we have been given gifts by God, we are still responsible to use them effectively and to seek to grow in their use that the church may receive more benefit from the gifts of which God has allowed us to be stewards. So we can receive a gift, we, we could receive multiple gifts, and we could be like Timothy where Paul's saying, fan it into flame, get, get going on it, Work, let it, let it happen, go minister to that person, go speak to that person. I've given you the gift of evangelism, go, or as an evangelist, go speak to that person, get out of the house and go talk with them. Be an encourager. I've made you an encourager, so go encourage that person. Um, there's, there's, there's our responsibility in this as well. Temporary or permanent? Uh, both. Um, some seemingly uh, more permanent. A hand um, doesn't necessarily become an eye, right? There's different ways that, that people are gifted in the church, and it makes up the body. There's that reality. Some people are called prophets. Some people are called teachers. Some people are called pastors. Some, but like, um, like I, 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 I've been told by many people that I, that I that I would have the gift of pastor pastoring, pa, like being a pastor shepherd. Throughout throughout the years, there was a time when I did not pastor for a year and a half, and it was it was when I left Iowa after 13 years. And I went into um, you know some uh, another job for a while while I was being um, evaluated, assessed in Sovereign Grace, uh, character assessments and whatnot. And and during that year, it was it was a very very difficult year. You all have heard a lot of the story, but very difficult year. And yet, 
a very refining year, stripping me of much, a lot of pride in those, in those years, but also I had just this strong hunger to care for people. And I didn't, and I realized during that, that time, I don't need to be a pastor to do that. Um, please, Lord, let me be a pastor full-time again is what I would pray. But it's like everywhere I went, I wanted to care for people. And it's not, it's just simply, it's, it's the way I could say that's the way God's wired me. I would say, I think it's, it's just a gifting. It's a gifting and it's for the sake of the church. Same is true with different people in this room, different ways you've been gifted. It's for the church and it's beautiful. Not just, not just us being like a unique kind of person or whatever, as just a nice guy or he's a nice woman, she's a nice woman. Uh, whatever, it's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit building in the church. Um, so anyway, but some people can be called certain things, and the language seems to suggest that those gifts would be like in someone in, in a, a continuing manner. Uh, certainly, the Spirit can pull it from somebody. He's sovereign, right? Um, some are not permanent. Uh, marriage and celibacy are considered gifts, and, and those things are both not, not permanent. Um, and uh, some gifts simply cannot be exercised at will. You think about gifts of healings. Um, somebody might have, have be, be given a gift of healing at different times, but it's not necessarily just there in somebody. So um, it's when the Lord would utilize the prayer of faith for this gift of healing in this specific situation for his glory and for that person's joy and for the building up of the church. But um, but it's not just this permanent, like, I've got the gift of healing, and so, like, healing, healing, and that kind of thing. There's people that are, have that sense of gifting, right? And, 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 there's, and there's stuff that's happened by God's grace, but it's, it's, it's in God's sovereign will. You think about someone who's gifted in prophecy, depends on God actually giving a revelation, and does not just making stuff up. If they're just making stuff up, well, it's not prophecy. It might sound like prophecy, but it's not prophecy. It's just maybe encouragement or something. And uh, One gift in evangelism prays and proclaims and goes out in boldness, trusting that the Spirit's going to give them the, or her the ability to be able to proclaim Christ with power, but one cannot regenerate a heart, you know, cause them to listen. Um, yeah, some gifts are given at specific purposes at specific times, uh, some may neglect the gift given or grieve the spirit or fall into doctrinal or moral error. So there's just like this, this reality of like, hey, um, the Lord's not pleased with, with uh, the spirit's not pleased with, with being grieved. Uh, the Holy Spirit is still the one who gives gifts as he wills. And, there w and we do believe there will be a day when the gifts cease. So they're not, they're not eternal. Um, uh, but we believe that day is the day we see Jesus face to face. Uh, miraculous, non-miraculous, we're just saying it's, there's already stated stuff. There's some things that are like seemingly a little bit more remarkable. Um, <clears throat> they're the ones that are focused on. Joy and I have had this conversation oodles of times because there's so much emphasis at times about prophecy or about tongues or about healings. And so we're praying for those things and praying for God to come in power and do that. Meanwhile... The Spirit's saying, 
I'm over, I'm over here do, doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. It's not that we shouldn't be praying for those things. It's just that there's so much emphasis on certain ones, and we want to be sure that we press against that and say, actually, they're, 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 all, of, they're all wonderful realities. The, the Bible makes no distinction between miraculous and non-miraculous gifts. They are just gifts. Um, the danger of making this distinction between miraculous and non-miraculous is at least two-sided um, beyond going against Scripture. Uh, one danger is to formulate a super-spirituality in some people uh, while others are lacking and we fail to see God at work in all the many varied ways He most certainly is. And I just mentioned that. Think about the church in Corinth, right? Uh, that, that, that kind of thing, um, except maybe not so extreme, but it's like it, 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 can be a, it can be alive in the church. Those who are baptized with the Spirit, those who aren't. Those who have this gift, but they don't have this gift. Um, and so there's the uh, other danger, of course, is then to cause someone to be suspicious about those who have what we consider a more supernatural gifting and to question the more natural gifting that we have and succumb to low expectations of faith regarding anything really being supernatural in that thing. So someone who serves. Um, I mean, the popular one in the church is going to be the one that prays for healing, and healing happens. Now, popular might not be the right word, but the one that gets the, gets the you know, the... Um, like, man, he prayed, she prayed for that, and that happened, or somebody that gives a prophetic word and people get saved. Man, and it's wonderful, glorious. God is at work, and so we should not, we should not denigrate that at all, but the person serving in nursery, faithfully, week after week, or, or hopefully six week after six week spread of time, whatever, those kind of things, and doing so in the power that God provides them, wonderful gift. Um, I'm just going to point out to you, Mary Catherine, just for a moment, because there was, there was a day that when Mark and Becca left, we, Joy and I were, um, so Mary Catherine hardly knows Joy and I, right? I mean, a little, a little bit more now, but, but then, really not that much, but, but um, Joy and I were, you know, reeling a little bit with sadness that day, right? And that was also the day that I came back and Joe... Joe was unconscious. She had just, so I was, sad, I was sad in so many ways and struggling with things. Not struggling like in faith, but just struggling emotionally and, um, and feeling lonely for them and all that. So, um, and uh, we didn't um, ask, ask for this at all, but Mary Catherine came over with dinner for us. She knew that we were dropping our kids off and she, she had, she just, and she brought dinner over for us, and um, it was just so kind. It was so kind. We felt known, not just by Mary Catherine, but we felt known by the Lord, that the Lord knows this. I just think this is like, that's a, that's a spiritual gift of encouragement, at least that. And, and it's just, it's just alive very well in this church, this kind of thing. I had just said to Kristen before the service, just how how people feel so cared for by her and Robbie and, and how they feel listened to and heard. It's just, it's just not just that you guys. As a matter of fact, Robbie's not that great of a guy. 
he's not that nice of a guy. He's just, <laughs> he's just, but he's so, they're so kind and gracious and generous with everything that they have. What is that? The power of the Holy Spirit. And a life that's being changed, but also there's just something unique about this, and it's powerful. Non-miraculous or miraculous? It's the Holy Spirit. And I can say something about most you know, everyone in this room that I know well. Um, so, uh, all right, discovering and seeking spiritual gifts. Um, how do we discover our spiritual gifts? Well, we just ask the Lord um, what spiritual gifts are needed for the building up of a church family. See, that's, a, that's just an easy, like an easy one. Not just the ones that we want. We would like earnestly desire that you may earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, right? 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Especially that you may prophesy. So it's like, yeah, I was like, give me the gift of prophecy so that I might build the church up with, with, with these words that you give. Lord, please, if that would be the case, please, I'd, I would love that. But, but then um, what do you do if that doesn't come? Well, yes, I don't. So what does the church need? Start there. Maybe, maybe there's something there. If you don't know how you're gifted, well, look for needs, and we have plenty of them. Uh, take time for self-evaluation. What interests, desires, abilities do you have? I'd say, like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the spiritual inventory. Get, get, I mean, I always come up with the same, always come up with the same thing. It's like, I always, my result is always what I specifically want, and I could have just started with that in the first place. You know, it's just like, it ends up, I always want to be an exhorter or something, you know, it's like, well, okay, yeah. So, like, it's just, reality is just, like, just be more pragmatic about it. Just get involved in the church and see what the Lord does and ask for the Lord to do that. So pray would be the third thing as well. Begin ministering in the church and see if there'd be a sense of God's blessing in that area. There's a great quote by, um, uh, again, by Rudum on this, on page 1029, uh, in his his older, his... Uh, his second volume of the systematic theology. So I'm not sure with the new one what page it is. Um, let me just, I want to read something real quick out of, one, uh, out of this book called uh, um, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. It's a red cover now. Um, um, is anyone you know distraught or discouraged? Are some finding life too frustrating to bear? If so, take them out for a cup of coffee and listen to their story. You don't have to theologize about their predicament. They're not looking for explanations. They just want someone who cares enough to spend a few minutes with them, just listen to them, then love them. Is anyone struggling financially with few prospects to get them out of the hole? Do something courageous. Give them your last 50 bucks and trust God to supply your need. Is anyone confused about some verse of scripture they just read in their devotional time? Perhaps you're just, a, just as befuddled as they are. Well, pull out a concordance, a study Bible, and perhaps a commentary from the church library which we don't have, but you can come to our, our, one of our offices uh, and, uh, and study a bit. Then sit down with your friend and put your heads and hearts together and pray for the Spirit to shed light on your thinking. Anyone struggling with sin, blah, blah, blah. Just all that kind of stuff. It's just real normal kind of life, church life. But, but to not presume upon the Holy Spirit. This is not just us. We are not just left alone. We have been given the Spirit to strengthen the church, and so we pursue in this way. How do we seek additional spiritual gifts? Should we uh, seek additional spiritual gifts? Absolutely. 
uh, you should be aware that we're called or commanded to do so um, in the passages that I've already stated, especially uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Uh, we should make it a matter of earnest prayer. We should be mindful of our motives, seek opportunities, again, to use the gift we now have and trust God's sovereignty, trust the Spirit's sovereignty, and he will dole out gifts as he wills for the sake of the church. Um, all right. A few definitions and a little bit of explanation. Prophecy. Um, several definitions have been given for the gift of prophecy throughout church history. Um, uh, but when we consider here the New Testament teaching on this gift, it's clear that it should not be specifically defined as predicting the future or declaring a word from the Lord or even powerful preaching or teaching, but rather as a human report of divine revelation. I mean, the Lord can do what he wants. Spirit can do what he wants. So it, it might be something like an Agabus kind of situation where, like, there is something that's stated, um, like, this is what's going to happen. Like, Paul, you're going to get under, you're going to be put under arrest um, by the Jews when you get there and you're going to end up dying. And, uh, but Paul's like, yeah, well, I'm going to go anyway. Um, it's not the same level of scripture. He had the opportunity to just kind of disregard it, go after it. Plus, the actual prof prophecy wasn't entirely accurate. It was, it was mostly accurate, but there was some... There was, but you go back to Ezekiel, or you go to Isaiah, or you go to the guys in the Old Testament, those prophets, no errors. No, like, well, that didn't happen. Right? That didn't quite happen that way. Thus saith the Lord is not quite thus saith the Lord. It was thus saith the Lord and a little bit of Ezekiel on the side. Um... So different than Old Testament prophecy is what New Testament prophecy is. It doesn't have the same authority as Scripture. We're on page 9. Um, uh, um, Paul tells the Thessalonians uh, um, to not despise prophecies, which makes it seem as though they may have been despising prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let others weigh what is said after two or three prophets speak in the church, which indicates that there are prophets in the church as well there, and so you're supposed to weigh what is said. In other words, listen to what is good and sift out the bad. And it's not the case with scriptural level kind of prophecy, but it is with what's being described in our text as the gift of prophecy in the church. Um, so it, we would just say it's a different category of revelation. It is not comparable with Scripture. It has to be tested against Scripture. So whenever we hear a word that we would consider a word of encouragement or exhortation or possibly a prophetic word, which not every word that is spoken up front is a prophetic word, it might um, uh, specifically, but, but it, it is a word that the Lord has given somebody, and the way to test it is, is, by, is by going to God's Word and by sitting under God's Word and letting it, letting, letting that in, interpret what we're hearing. Um, so, uh, okay, the purpose of prophecy, page 10. Purpose of prophecy is 1 Corinthians 14, 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, who does not want those three things? The upbuilding of the church means to edify and strengthen, carries with it a sense of enlightening or, or informing, teaching, instructing for the means of strengthening and growing. God intends for this gift of prophecy to strengthen and grow his people. And, and when the church gathers, there are many speech-related activities that serve a purpose of edification, like, like in 1 Corinthians 14. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, 
a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. This is the reality of the early church. And we are saying, hey, like that actually, there's no reason to think that that doesn't still continue today. Singing, teaching, prophesying, speaking in tongues along with interpretation can all be done for edification. Matter of fact, that is a way to consider whether or not they really are that. So edification, not, not self-promotion or, or, or like self-glory in some way. It is for the edification of the church. Um, uh, point B, page 11, the encouragement of the church. Which, see, all these seem kind of similar, but, but, but they're just like this edification, building up, encouragement to come alongside, you know, to come alongside. Like, so the way that I felt, um, Joy and I both felt like, and, and we have felt that way like with Mary Catherine, but we felt that way with many of you and many things that you guys have cared for. You are so gracious, such gracious, encouraging people that we feel cared for by the Lord through you. And then the consolation, consoling of the church, that that the Lord would, this is how I pray for Krishna, this is how I pray for Tom Heffernan and Nancy and pray for a number of people specifically I mean, all of us generally, but specifically those who are in significant pain and difficulty, that the Lord would speak to them and make himself known so very clearly. And most often it's going to be in this word, but it might very well be in a, wor- a prophetic word in the moment where, where like God impresses on somebody in this church who may or may not have the gift of prophecy, but, but likely does have the gift of prophecy in this moment to be able to say something specifically insightful and caring to that person that they wouldn't have known that that was going to make any difference whatsoever, but it does. And it's like God is in the room, which we know he's in the room, right? But it's like, it's that, God knows me. Um, teaching. Uh, the ability to explain scripture, apply it to people's lives. Um, It's often based on scripture. As Paul reminded Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. So there's a reality of like someone who's gifted in teaching. Someone might be gifted in miracles as well, which sounds like an awesome gift, but it's like it's, it's no more miraculous than these other ones that we're talking about. Any kind of activity where God's power is evident. There's, there's specific times throughout history we read about it last week and considered the reality that there's prayers for deliverance and people are delivered and there's power in, in those specific prayers. Somebody might have this gift of intercession, for instance, and mir- like a miracle of intercession to be able to pray for deliverance or pr- powerful works of judgment in the church or miraculous deliverance from injury or whatever. Miracles appear to be a category of unusual activity where God works um, in certain ways to point people to himself. That's just the way the apostles were praying in Acts 4. They were praying that, that give us boldness, give us boldness, and you do works and wonders, miracles along the way. Well, who's he going to do works and wonders through? But by the apostles as well. But he, they realized that everything for the sake of the gospel is all on the Holy Spirit working in us. Um, healing is another, another thing. Let's go to the next page. And healing would be, uh, again, these gifts of healings. But just this, this sense of some things to think about. Um, and I, I really, I'm not going to go through every one of these, but I want to hit on the first one in particular just to make sure you understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Um, that we should trust the Lord for healing more than doctors. Um, I'm not saying don't go to a doctor and just trust God for your cancer. 
I'm, I'm not saying that at all, or for, or for a, like a strep throat or whatever, but it's like, it, it, I remember hearing a pastor say, did you, like when you had a headache, did you pray or did you go straight for the Tylenol? Tylenol is a gift, right? Hands down, it's a gift. Advil's a gift. Um, but is, God, the, 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 is, there any, is there any thinking that possibly, hey, you know what, I should pray about that. Let, let me pray about that. Somebody, like, somebody has a migraine or somebody has a whatever. Let's pray about it. So like, if somebody's sick in a church service or, or somebody's not doing well or they're discouraged or whatever, it's like, let us go to prayer and ask the Lord for a gift of healing and, and not just uh, assume that, well, they're, they're sick, you know. Um, and let's pray for God to um, do something in this way, to grant a gift of healing. Next page, tongues and interpretation. Uh, two different things, I believe. Human language, uh, Acts 2, definitely a human language. D- d- different kinds of languages. People were hearing it in their own tongue. So it was like that, that um, gift of languages was very much uh, known languages uh, by somebody, right? So like there were all these people from different, different lands that were, that were in Jerusalem and, and the Lord gave the d- disciples, the apostles, a, um, or the, all the disciples actually, uh, this gift of languages to be able to proclaim the gospel in people's individual languages, which is just crazy amazing. And how I pray actually for Mark and Becca that they would actually be given the gift of languages with Turkish um, and would ask you to pray for that as well. Um, but also in 1 Corinthians 14, there is an unknown, the unknown language, a prayer, like a, a more of a prayer language. This is what Paul's speaking about. It's diametrically different. It's like different than the Acts 2 tongues. And, and so all of us have thoughts, whether you've had experience with tongues, whether you speak in tongues, or whether, whether you know, we're from backgrounds where people who speak in tongues are, are crazy and all that. So wherever, we all have thoughts on it. Uh, so what, what is it? Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, that again, I, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. This is the, this is, this is the Apostle Paul. This guy, I mean, he's the Apostle Paul. And he says to the church, to the church that is abusing the gift, and, and these guys are immature about it and everything, and he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So, um, then he teaches about the proper function. So what is it? Well, the gift of tongues, as far as I'm concerned, I believe that's what Scripture says, the gift of tongues is directed to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. And, and this sets it apart from prophecy. Right? Prophecy is a word or message from God directed to people. A tongue is a, is a, is, is a gift from God that is, is meant as speaking to God. Um, the gift of tongues bypasses the mind, according to Paul, again, who is very much an intellectual man. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It doesn't mean he's a nut job. Right? It's just that it bypasses the, the, he doesn't understand what he's saying. It, I mean, it's, it's just the way, the way it is. So what am I to do, he says. I, I will pray with my spirit, is what that is, but I will pray with my mind also. In other words, I'll pray that I understand and so the people around me can understand. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. 
Uh, so in his mind, he doesn't understand what he prays. He doesn't use his mind to decide what to pray for and then create the sentences to say it. And uh, for some, it's just too weird. And so they do nothing but deride a gift like I did for years that they can't get their mind around. For the Apostle Paul, it really doesn't take, them long, doesn't take him long at all to know what he's going to do. He's not going to neglect the gift of tongues because it bypasses the mind. He's actually, who is a very intellectual guy, he's going to continue to pray and praise with his spirit, but neither will he neglect praying and praising with his mind. That is in his words that he formulates and understands. So the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. There's that strength. So what are the gifts for? Build up the church, right? That's the, that's the primary thing, to build up the church. Well, tongue, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, edifies himself, strengthens himself, which in turn then strengthens the church as well. But even though the one who is speaking in tongues doesn't understand with his mind what he's saying, his spirit is communicating directly with God, and that edifies, that builds up, that strengthens. And anybody in this room who has the gift of tongues um, will 100% of the time say that that's been their experience many of the times that there is this communion thing that's happening that they can't really explain. And I got a couple stories that I won't go into because I really want to, to end here. Um, uh, so the gift of tongues includes praise and prayer, erupts in thanksgiving to God. Um, that's, that's what it does. Uh, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 16, 17, he mean, meaning Paul, he says, if you give thanks with your spirit, that is in, in, the, in a tongue, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say yes to your thanksgiving when he has no clue what you're saying. He doesn't understand. It's not in a language that he understands. It, it's, in, it's in this other language that, that is an unknown language. Nobody knows this language. Nobody's going to know what, it, what you're saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up, which is why that gift specifically needs to be interpreted in a service, because gifts are meant for the building up of the body. But, the, but tongues is for our own strengthening ability. Um, I mean, um, yeah, our, our own strengthening. So um, the spiritual gift of, this is, this, is a, uh, this is from my sermon like six years ago, whatever, I, I pulled this as far as the definition. The spiritual gift of speaking in tongues is the spirit-prompted speaking or singing of prayers or praises or thanksgiving to God in words not understood by the speaker, which may or may not be actual known human languages. So it's not just like singing in Spanish. Um, there's something more to it. And, um, and so where is it to be used? Well, corporately, um, he says, uh, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So I already talked about that. And then privately, well, privately, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, that is, that is in an understood manner, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in the tongue. And I'm just thinking, okay, if he speaks in tongues more than everybody, but he would rather speak through his mind at church, then where is he speaking in tongues but in his private life, primarily? Carson, D.A. Carson, who's not known as a, um, you know, a crazy charismatic fella, he says this, there is no stronger defense of the private use of tongues than verses 18 and 19. And attempts to avoid this conclusion turn out on inspection to be remarkably flimsy. 
If Paul speaks in tongues more than all the Corinthians, yet in the church prefers to speak five intelligible words rather than 10,000 words in a tongue, then where does he speak them? The only possible conclusion is that Paul exercised his remarkable tongues gift in private, and this is a point of considerable significance. Um, Storms says, we must never forget that the gift of tongues was God's idea, not man. So when we make fun of it, it's not cool. He gave the gift to the church no less than the gift of teaching, mercy, exhortation, evangelism, helps, administration, leadership, mercy, all those things. So let's resolve from the outset not to spurn or ridicule something precious in God's sight, graciously bestowed by a loving Heavenly Father who gives only good gifts to His children. That's a great, great quote. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge is like a word specifically given to somebody that is like especially wise in a moment or possibly something... Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a, a little bit of a debate between like the gift of prophecy and the gift of a word of knowledge where like, um, like last week when I talked about C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, when he called guys out in the middle of the sermon, you know, and like he just knew things about them and they're like, wow, um, um, that, that like a, that's either prophecy, like an a, a aspect of prophecy or a gift of knowledge, something you shouldn't know. Distinguishing between spirits is just a, uh, an op- uh, the privilege which we need at the church as well. Um, people to be able to distinguish, not be, not be judgmental, but distinguish between spirits because we are, we are not just living in a world that has no supernatural stuff going on. Um, all right. Application. Perhaps the most important application to make related to spiritual gifts is the fact that the Bible addresses them with clarity. And if we're to take the Bible seriously, we too should investigate, seek, and use our spiritual gifts when appropriate. God gave them to us for a reason, namely to build up the church and to glorify God. May we all use our gifts to build up the church for his glory. And I want to conclude with this paragraph um, by reminding us that these gifts are connected to the gospel. Christ Jesus himself died for our sins. He died to pay the penalty of our sins and in so so doing purchased our forgiveness for the sins. Christ died to purchase the fulfillment of the new covenant promises of God. Jesus said that himself when he um, when gathered with his disciples for the Last Supper, this is the new covenant in my blood, and those new covenant promises include the promise that we will be empowered by the Spirit in order to be Christ's witnesses. And one of the signs of the Spirit's empowerment are the gifts, including the gifts of prophecy and the gift of tongues and all these other ones that we've spoken of to some extent tonight, that we've seen exercised through Acts, that we've seen exercised through 2,000 years of church history, that we've seen exercised among us uh, here in this church. Each time these gifts are used, we're witnesses not of the power or glory of man, but a sign of the Spirit's presence and power. Each time it's the fulfillment of Christ's power to promise to empower his people. In other words, Christ purchased not only our forgiveness when he died on the cross, as glorious as that is, but also that we might walk in the newness of the Christian life, which is a spirit life in the Spirit, exercising all the gifts of the Spirit. May we not be those who just like, don't really want to have much to do with them, especially the ones that are a little uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable, but may we come at them with humility and openness and a sense of wonder, and may we look around and just point them out because it gives God glory and it strengthens the church. I've got some questions there, just a few questions, don't have much time again, but um, if you would um, just sit and talk about one question uh, together with some people, that'd be great. 
Lord, thank you for tonight. We, we just, uh, man, we're just skimming through things and, and, and going long. So I, I just pray that you would um, impress what you want on your people. In Jesus' name, amen.